It's good to be with you again this evening and hope that uh, everyone had a restful and enjoyable afternoon. It's been a beautiful day outside and I know we're all thankful for that. We're entering into that kind of in between the seasons time of year where outside it's still a little bit cool and when we're able to come to worship we prepare ourselves for summertime because of the fact that it's hotter than a two dollar pistol in the church building. So we can all sweat together while we worship God in preparation for June and July. Or maybe that's just me. Matthew 28 and verse 18 to 20. We, of course, recognize that section as the Great Commission. And we know it well. Jesus said before his ascension into heaven, Go into all the world and teach the gospel or preach the gospel to every creature. I think I'm combining Matthew and Mark. And uh, Jesus says that we are to teach, and then we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then here's the other part. Teaching them to admonish all things whatsoever I have said unto you, and lo, I am with you always. See, the Great Commission has really three parts. Teaching, baptizing, and then teaching some more. Sometimes we fail in the last part. We practice, as some uh, one said a long time ago, a dump them and drop them, uh, dunk them and drop them sort of religion. We spend a lot of time studying and working to bring a person to Christ, and then once they're baptized, they're immersed in water, we sort of send them on their way, allow them to intermingle within the body of Christ, but sort of take a hands-off approach And then we wonder why it is that they struggle and eventually fall away. You see, new converts, new Christians, have a particular set of needs. We all have needs, of course, but new Christians have a particular set of needs. And it is our responsibility as those who are more mature in the faith to be mindful of those needs and help to be sure that those needs are met. I'd like for us to talk this evening about some of them. This is not an exhaustive list, but let's talk about some of the needs of new converts or new Christians this evening. Five needs of new converts. Number one, maybe, at least for some, the most important need is this, the need to fill the void. The need to fill the void. If you want a big title, you can say, fill the void of a discharged lifestyle. Fill the void of a discharged lifestyle. Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, of an unclean spirit going out of a man. And here's what he said. He said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then He goes and he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be with uh, this wicked generation. Now there's a lot to be said contextually here about the discussion that is going on going all the way back to the beginning of this chapter. But there's one principle in what Jesus says in these three verses that is appropriate for what we're talking about and it is this. When the unclean spirit leaves the man, if the man does not fill the void, Jesus says, that is left behind with that which is good, 
then when the unclean spirit returns and he finds that void empty, he is going to happily, gladly reoccupy that empty space. When we talk about filling the void of a discharged lifestyle, this is what we mean. When a person obeys the gospel, when they're converted to Christ, conversion, of course, implies and involves turning away from an old way of life and turning to a new way of life. It's a new lifestyle. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, you remember that the Apostle Paul says that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things are gone. Old things are passed away, Paul says. All things have become new. Romans 6 and verse 4, the body of sin is dead. So when we obey the gospel and become a Christian, the lifestyle that we've been living for however many years, might be just a few if it's a young person, might be several decades uh, for someone who's a little more advanced in years. That lifestyle, that life that we have known for so long now We are turning away from that. And when we turn away from what we've known for however many years, that's going to leave a void. And sometimes that void, sometimes that changing, sometimes that leaving is quite dramatic. quite dramatic. It involves, for example, leaving old habits, like the things that we do, just things that make up our daily lives. Have you ever thought about this statement? John chapter 8 and verse number 11. Jesus is talking to the woman who was caught in adultery and brought to him. And here's the statement that Jesus made to her. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Think for a moment about what all that meant. Go and sin no more. This woman is a woman caught in adultery. We can suppose that this is probably not the first time that this has happened. We can suppose that this woman trying to make her way to whatever degree in daily life in that time and in that place was involved, to put it gently, in a great deal of ungodliness. Jesus says, go and sin no more. That means there are a lot of things that have to change. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. We have, as it were, a catalog here of sinful lifestyles. And you remember in verse number 11, the apostle Paul says, such were some of you. We'll look at 9 and 10 in a moment. But in verse 11, he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now what that means is that the things that he describes in verse 9 and 10, those are things that formally characterized who these folks were. At one time in the past, they were involved in these kinds of activities. At one time in the past, these are the kind of lives that they were living, but no more. They've turned away from them. They've now been converted to Christ. But have you ever taken the time to just go through verse 9 and 10 and look at the things in the list and think about all of the the tentacles, if you will, all of the baggage that would be involved in trying to turn away from some of these lifestyles? Let's look at it for a moment. You have, uh, in no particular order, you have uh, thieves, verse 10. That involves restitution. Imagine someone who's made a living, if you will, and I use the term very loosely, but imagine someone who has spent their time for a great deal of time being a professional thief. 
Part of repentance is restitution. And now the thief who's repenting of his thievery has the responsibility to the best of his ability, the responsibility to the best of his ability to make restitution for the things that uh, he has taken. We have uh, sins of sexual immorality in these passages, like fornication. Fornication can sometimes bring with it uh, unintended or at least undesirable consequences, like disease, like the emotional scars that would come with that sort of a lifestyle. Homosexuality, same sort of thing, coming out of the lifestyle. Adultery. Repentance demands that a person in an adulterous marriage come out of that marriage. And yet there are families involved, often children involved, extended family members involved. So there are a number of things that the Apostle Paul mentions in this list. And to change and to cease these lifestyles is not often just as easy as flipping a switch and then overnight, like magic, all of the connections, if you will, all of the tentacles that were involved in that kind of living just disappear. That's not how it works. Sometimes, for some, repentance is a process that carries out over a long time. Sometimes dying to the old man and doing away with these habits and these things that made up the way that we live, it takes time to get rid of all of those things, and when they're gone, the hole is enormous. That hole has to be filled with something. Becoming a Christian involves leaving behind old habits. It involves sometimes even leaving behind people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 33, evil communication, you remember, or companionship corrupts good morals. It's a passage that reminds us of the importance of, of being mindful of the people with whom we're friends, the people that we surround ourselves with. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Peter reminded the brethren there that they had spent more than enough time in riotous living. He says, you've spent enough time in riotous living, serving the flesh, serving sin, and now he says, it is time, to, it, it is, it is time for you to, to use the time God gives you for him and not for that. But then he makes a statement in verse 4 about the people with whom they used to spend time with. He says, they think it's strange that you no longer walk along with them after doing these sinful things. You see, this is a change uh, in our friendships, if you will. Sometimes becoming a Christian means that we have to leave our friends behind. Sometimes it means that we have to leave our entire peer group behind. And the reason is because they will pull us down. And they will make faithful Christian living more difficult than what it already is. Sometimes it even means separating from family members. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 37. Jesus made this clear. Jesus said, I came to separate, to put division, if you will, in, in a house between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law, uh, between a, a husband and his wife and a father and his children and so on and so forth. And the idea, of course, is not that Jesus came for the express purpose of dividing and splintering homes. The idea is that sometimes, even within a family, that there are going to be those who obey the gospel, and within their family, there are going to be those who hate them for it. There are going to be those who have no desire whatsoever to support them in their 
a goal of walking faithfully to God, and they therefore are they attack them. They are uh, they fight against them, and so Jesus says, "Look, for some, for some, you have to make the choice between serving God or maintaining close relationship with family members, and God wins that battle. God wins every battle." So when we talk about the needs of new converts, this is a big one. Filling the hole, if you will. Filling the void. The lifestyle has changed. The habits have changed. The daily activities have changed. The friendships have changed. Even relationships within their own families sometimes have changed. And that can be a very difficult thing. Some of us have experienced this to a greater degree than others. It can be very difficult. And it is incumbent upon Christians, because we're all fellow citizens in the house of God, we're all members of the family of God, Ephesians 2 and verse 19, it is incumbent upon us to be mindful of this very important need and do what we can to help that need be met. Now the next point sort of builds on the first. In fact, the first point sort of serves as a foundation for the rest. The second need that new converts have is to find an active role, excuse me, an active role in the body of Christ. We're trying to fill the void, and one way that we can fill the void is to get busy. I often think about God's instructions to Elijah in the book of 1 Kings. You remember after the showdown at Mount Carmel, this is when Elijah is praying to God and he's depressed and he says, Look, I'm the only one left. And what God tells him, if I can paraphrase it, is this. Number one, you're not the only one left. I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Number two, get up, quit feeling sorry for yourself, and get to work. You know, when we struggle with loneliness and discouragement and depression, sometimes the best thing to do in order to overcome that is to just get busy working in the kingdom of God. Replace the negative thoughts with positive thoughts, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Try and flip the switch in our mind to stop thinking about the things that are troubling us and start thinking about how we can work and what more can we do for the kingdom of God. Now for a new convert, for a new Christian, someone who is leaving the world, someone who is leaving this old life and these habits and sometimes even relationships, one of the best things that can be done is to immediately find ways to show them how they can work and participate in the uh, the works of the congregation, in the works of the body of Christ. Whenever we start a new job or whenever we move to a new place, we want to plug in. We want to feel wanted. We want to feel needed. We want to have something to do. We want to build relationships while we're working and while we're acting. And Christianity is the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verses 12 through 26, you remember that the Apostle Paul describes the church as a body. And he describes every member of the church as an individual part or organ, if you will, of the body. And what he'll tell us in that context is that every part of the body works together. The hands, the feet, the eyes, the mouth, the nose, they all work together in unison. They all play different roles, if you will. But each role is important to the functioning of the body as a whole. And the application to the church of our Lord is this. 
that every single Christian, every single one, is a member of the body and every single person has a role to play. It doesn't matter if you are young or old. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for six days or 60 years. Every single member of the body has a role to play. And that role, every role, is important to the overall function of the body as a whole. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30 is where we find the parable of the talents. You remember we have the five talent, the ten talent, excuse me, the five talent man, uh, the one talent man, the ten talent man. And you remember that uh, the, the lesson in this parable, at least one of them is this, that whatever it is that God entrusts us with, to whatever degree he entrusts us with it, we have to use it to his glory. If you were to take a sheet of paper and you were right to write a zero for everything that you have not done, what would that number total in the end? See, sometimes we approach Christianity this way. Well, look, I haven't murdered anybody. That's a zero. I'm not a liar. Put a, put a zero down. I don't steal. I don't cheat. Zero, zero. I don't use foul language. Put a zero. I don't forsake the assembly. Put a zero. We think about things from the negative. I don't do this, I don't do that, but if you have a thousand zeros and then you total them all up at the end, what do you have? You have zero. You see, Christianity is not a religion about what I'm not doing that's wrong. It's a religion about what I am doing that's right. And so it's incumbent upon every single one of us to do the best that we can to use the abilities that God has given us to his glory. Now, here's how that pertains to new Christians. I believe that it is wrong for us to put a new Christian through a uh, probationary period, even if 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 it is not intended to be that way. Sometimes what happens is that we... We assume that, look, this person is a new Christian and so they need to spend a couple of years learning before they're able to be put to work. They've got to spend a couple of years learning before we can trust them to lead prayers in the worship service or maybe take them along with us to do a Bible study or whatever the case may be. But that's, that's not the right way to look at it. This is a difficult truth, but it's, a tr- it's true nonetheless. It may be that a man who has been a Christian for only six months has put more effort and more attention into studying and learning and growing as a Christian, and he grows more in six months than a man who's been a Christian has for six years. And so a man who's been a Christian for six months may be more spiritually mature and have the ability to lead the congregation in prayer, just for example in worship, in a more effective way than someone who's been a Christian ten times longer than he has. We do not judge or we should not judge or determine action within the body or work within the body based on how long a person has been a Christian necessarily. So we ought to be busy with teaching. We ought to be busy with training. We ought to be busy with involving new Christians in the work of God immediately. As soon as they come up out of the water of baptism, our minds ought to start working. How can we get them involved? How can we teach them? How can we work with them to find out what their talents and their abilities are so we can help them to to discover what it is that they do best to help the, the congregation, what it is that they do best to help the work of God. Let's get them involved immediately and not wait, uh, not wait for them to, to figure it out on their own. 
Number three, the third need of new converts is to see mature examples from other Christians. New converts need to see mature examples from other Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul talks about the importance of our example. He says it's paramount. He talks about the fact that we are basically walking, living billboards for Christianity. You've heard the, uh, the, uh, the saying, I'm sure, many times that there are some folks that would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And when we talk about that, we're talking about our example. We're talking about putting the gospel to work in our lives on a daily basis. And listen, our examples can have a very far-reaching impact. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul talked about the example of the Thessalonian congregation. And he made mention of the fact that everywhere he went in Macedonia, he didn't have to He didn't have to speak about, he didn't have to tell people, listen, let me tell you about this congregation in Thessalonica and what they've been doing. He didn't have to say that because they'd already heard about them. Their example, their work, their faithfulness, Paul said, was causing their name to be known throughout all of that area of the ancient world. Examples are powerful, powerful things. But that goes both ways. You see, a new Christian can be here in the assembly, or let's say, actually let me change the example. A new Christian can be on Monday through Friday out somewhere working, maybe going to a restaurant or whatever, and they can see a brother or a sister in Christ who's been a Christian for a long time modeling the principles of New Testament Christianity in a beautiful way, and that is encouraging. But they can also see a brother or sister in Christ modeling uh, the exact opposite of what New Testament Christianity is supposed to be outside of the church building, and that can be very discouraging. It is discouraging whenever any Christian, but particularly a new Christian, sees a brother or sister in Christ playing the hypocrite out in the world away from the church building. May it never be so. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are new to the faith need to be able to look at those who are more seasoned in the faith and they need to see 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 in action. Paul said in that passage, be followers of me or be imitators of me as I also follow or as I also imitate Christ. So new Christians need to be able to look to more mature Christians as an example. Our speech ought to set the example for them. The way that we conduct ourselves at work ought to set the example for them. The way that we interact with people, the way that we deal with disagreements, the way that we make decisions as to whether or not a thing is right or wrong or how we set our priorities or whatever the case may be. We ought to always be striving to set the proper example for those who are young in the faith so they can look to us and see Christ Jesus. Number four. The fourth need of new converts is this, to develop an appreciation for spiritual things. New converts or new Christians need to learn to develop an appreciation for spiritual things. And the reason, I think, is fairly obvious, and that is that we will never grow spiritually unless we develop a strong desire for things that are spiritual. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 
As newborn babes, Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You realize that that passage is not written to young Christians. What that passage is, the audience of that passage is every Christian, which means that every Christian, regardless of how long we have been a Christian, ought to have that same desire. They ought to have a desire like a baby who desires to be fed about every three hours. And if they don't get fed, they scream and cry about it and let you know that they're ready to eat. The point is that every Christian, regardless of how old or young in the faith we we are, every Christian ought to desire more than anything else in the world to be nourished by the Word of God. We ought to desire things spiritual more than anything else in this world. But getting to that point, of course, as we well know, often takes time, takes growth, maturity. We talked this morning from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, the law of the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit. Talking about how the child of God, uh, according to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, is is a person who orients their lifestyle uh, around the teaching and the direction of Scripture. And uh, how when we orient our lifestyle around the teaching and the direction of Scripture, what will happen is that the way that we think will be changed. Our thought process, our worldview, the way we see things will begin to change. And we'll begin to think about and see things the way that God thinks about them and the way that God sees them. God shapes our thinking as we conform our will to his. So this is a process that needs to begin the moment that we step out of the baptistry. A new Christian has to learn to value those things that are holy and good and meditate on those things, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. A new Christian has to learn how to let God's word shape their thinking. A new Christian has to learn how to reason through the scripture, how to look at the principles of New Testament Christianity and be able to rightly and properly apply them to the real life, daily choices and dilemmas that we all have to work through throughout our lives. Number last, the fifth need of New New Christians is this. They need to receive fellowship and encouragement. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 25, the Proverbs writer says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Go back up to our first point in talking about filling the void. And again, try and put yourself in those shoes. Or maybe you have been or are in those shoes and you know exactly what it's like to have come out of a world of sin, to have, have cut ties with old friendships, to have had family members turn their back against you and to basically feel like you're all alone except for your new family. Christian family. What could be more important and what could be more helpful than those new family members going out of their way to make sure that you know that you are appreciated, to make sure that you know you have those who are praying for you, to make sure that you are encouraged, to make sure that you are included. You see, new Christians need to receive fellowship and encouragement. Living the Christian life is not easy. And loneliness that sometimes comes with having made such a radical change in our life can be discouraging and can be devastating. 
That's why in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, the Bible says, exhort or build up one another daily. You see, in the book of Hebrews, we're looking at uh, Christians who are struggling with leaving the faith. Perhaps new Christians, some of them. And what was the thing that was going to help them to prevent them from going backwards? At least one of them. Regular daily encouragement. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and following. The Bible tells us in Acts 2 and verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2 and verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Acts 2, verse 42 through the end of the chapter tells us what they did after they obeyed the gospel and became Christians. And the Bible tells us that they were with one another daily. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and a breaking of bread and in prayers. They were with one another in one accord daily in the temple and from house to house. They were learning. They were serving. They were growing together. They were encouraging one another. That's one of the great needs of New Testament, or excuse me, of new converts. So now... It is my responsibility, it's all of our responsibilities, those who have been members of the body of Christ for some time, to think about these needs, to stop for a moment and ask ourselves what role we have played in helping these needs to be met. On a congregational level, number one, but number two, on a personal, on an individual level. Sometimes we put a lot of the work on the congregation as a whole. If there's a work that needs to be supported, well, let's, the congregation can support it. But we forget that an individual has the ability to write a check to support something just as much as the, the elders do for the congregation. If there's something that needs to be done in the community, well, let's, the congregation can do it. Yeah, the congregation can, but individuals can do it too. So it is important for us on a congregational level to make sure that we're meeting these needs, helping these needs to be met, but it's also important on an individual level. Every Christian in the room, we all ought to be asking ourselves, what have I been doing and what can I be doing to try and help my new brothers and sisters in Christ have their needs met? What can I do to help them? How can I encourage them? What can I do to include them? What can I do to help them grow? We all, if we all, take it upon ourselves to try and meet these needs, we will have, very quickly, a growing, thriving congregation of God's people. It's guaranteed. Lesson is yours this evening. Appreciate your kind attention. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation. And now it may be that there is someone here who desires to become a new Christian. Do you believe in the deity of Jesus? John 8 and verse 24. Are you willing to repent of your sins? Luke 13 and verse 3. Confess your faith? Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Acts 2 and verse 38. The Bible says that when a person is willing to do those things, that God will add them to the church. That's the body of the saved. Acts 2 and verse 47. If you're ready to make that step, then we're ready to help you do it this evening. But maybe tonight you are a Christian and you're thinking about your life and you... you you realize that, you know, there are some improvements that need to be made. There are some ways that I can be a better worker, I can be a better encourager, a better one to meet the needs of new Christians. Can we help you? Can we pray for you? Can we encourage you in some way? If so, come forward, let it be known while we stand and sing together.